in the first half, we reviewed uh, the message of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 31, which again we say, be aware of the specific spiritual assignments God made to individuals in the church, but your focus in your spiritual life should not be on the gifts associated with them. Instead, be focused in living out your spiritual life. Now, we say that required uh, four propositions from the passage that necessary to expound on it. The first one is that spiritual assignments are made to those in the church of Christ that you are a member. The second is that the spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance to the church of Christ. So we have considered the first three uh, spiritual assignments of apostles, prophets, and teachers. And, they, and we also indicated that they, all three, were associated with persons. But not so in the rest of the five assignments given in verse 28. And so we went in to show that the word then used, when he said then, workers of miracles, that that word then used twice in, in the Greek, the NIV used then and also. We explained that the best way we can understand that is, is saying fourth and fifth. But more than that, that is it's a way to tell us that the apostle is no longer interested in following the order of importance of the spiritual assignments to its function to the church of Christ. And so, uh, with that, we uh, more or less look through the other, the fourth and the fifth assignments, these, that of the of miracles and of the gifts of healing. And we indicated that all miracles are from God, and we also indicated that, yeah, God may use human agents for miracles for whatever reason, but it's always that he has a purpose in doing so. Then we also, after looking at the miracles, we indicated that miracles has, with all the miracles, there's a purpose for every miracle. And that when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, that his miracles serve to authenticate his person as God. But when he came to the apostles or any other person who preaches the gospel, granted miracles, that the purpose of that is to authenticate their message. Now I was to say, based on this, that you have really spoken God's word. And God follows it up with miracles to confirm that. That that does happen. And with that we made the point that people may say miracles, but that doesn't mean they will believe. Now when people say miracles and believe, it's because they are of the elect. Otherwise people say miracles, they won't believe. And this was through in the time of Jesus Christ. They saw these miracles. Only very few had actually believed. 
And we say that our Lord explained that. He said the reason is because those who believe are of the elect. And I say that the way to prove that is to go to a passage in John chapter 10, verses 25 through 26, which is where we stopped in break, before break, and that's where we pick up. John chapter 10, verse 25 reads, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. In other words, test for who I am. But then Lucas said, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, you notice what I said? I said, those who believe are because they are the elect. <laughs> so, someone may argue that there is no reference to the elect in this passage that I just read. Well, sometimes people are just looking for that same word. That's not the way it works in the scripture. God gives several concepts, sometimes using words, but the concept will be scattered, and so we have to pull it together. Now, so it is true that the word elect does not appear in this passage that we read, but that is what it is meant by the word sheep. Sheep. That's what it's meant here. Let me show you why. See, the Lord Jesus indicated that those he described as his sheep are those whom he gives eternal life. As stated in that John 10, look at verse 28. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, or is, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, about the, put aside the fact that that's the passage that says, if you are saved, you are secure. Nothing can change your salvation. That's just fact. But here is the thing. Somebody says, well, he said, give them eternal life. That still doesn't mean they're the elect. So we go one more step. The Lord Jesus gives eternal life. Those he gives eternal life are certainly the elect because they are the ones God the Father gave to God the Son as the Lord Jesus stated in his priestly prayer according to John chapter 17 verse 2. The, the, uh, the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer now. That's, that's really the Lord's prayer. Not Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord's prayer. It is, For you granted him authority over all people, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, him, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, that clause, all those you have given him, refers to the elect. Since the giving of the individuals in question occurred in eternity. It's not those you will give him. It's those he, he had already given him. Before Christ came to the planet, he gave him some people. Those he gave, they are the, that's what we call the elect. 
And so, the point is that miracles in and of themselves, though, do not necessarily mean that an unbeliever that is not of the elect will believe. Only an unbeliever at a time of the miracle who is of the elect. There are many unbelievers there of the elect. They are walking around. You don't know who they are. I don't know. No one knows. That's why we give the gospel to everyone because you don't know who it, who God has chosen. But you walk around looking at many people. There's no way you can look at somebody's face and say, oh yeah, that's an elect. No, we don't know. So we, we say that all unbelievers who are of the elect, when they see miracles, they're the ones that are going to believe, not every other person. So anyway, we should recognize that the purpose of miracle or healing is to authenticate the message of the gospel, not the individual that God uses to carry out miracle of any kind. Now, there have been well-known scholars in the past that have taught the opposite. In other words, they say, miracles authenticated the apostles. And that is part of the, what they used to argue that all these miraculous things have ceased. Except that there's no passage in the Bible that said that. They just, you know, being systematic in the thinking, as they say. But there's no passage. I've shown you a passage that shows clearly in Acts 4, 3, that is to authenticate the message, not the person. Except for the the person of Jesus Christ. Anyway, be that as he may then, the fourth and fifth spiritual assignments consist of the extraordinary events that involve the display of God's power. Now, the assignments of the kinds involved in the fourth and the fifth spiritual assignments are such that the individuals with them will perform miracles or heal others as often as the Holy Spirit sees fit. In other words, it is not up to the individual to decide when a miracle or healing will take place. Furthermore, the assignments of miracle or healing are different from the situation where God performs a miracle or heals in response to a prayer by a believer. That's different. So I'm saying that although the Lord may perform miracle or bring about healing in answer to a prayer by a believer, that that is not the same as a spiritual assignment of miracles or healings. God will perform miracles or healings through those that the Holy Spirit has given such assignments whether they pray or not. See, that's the thing, whether they pray or not. Because it's an assignment given to them. Now, the only thing that is required of such individual is for them to be under the control of the Holy Spirit so that the individual's spiritual gift will function. Now, as again, like I've been emphasizing throughout this study uh, since the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, that you have your own spiritual gift. What's required of you is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It will function. Whether you know it or you don't know it, it doesn't matter. Except, of course, if you're going to be a pastor and a teacher. Anyway. So, 
what I'm saying is, once you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you have gift will function. Now, I think uh, a person may, of course, think that I'm just making this requirement, and that's not the case. I don't do that. So it's really when a believer is filled of the Holy Spirit that is controlled by the Holy Spirit that the person could be used to perform a miracle. Now this is evident in what was said of Apostle Paul before he pronounced that miracle of judgment on Elimaz the sorcerer as we read in Acts chapter 13 verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. It reads, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, you are a child of the devil and the enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now it seems to me that if it is not necessary for the believer to be controlled by the Holy Spirit to perform that which is miraculous, we would not have been given the verbal phrase of verse 9, where it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. That would not have been given. Because even when talked about the church doing miraculous, he said they were filled of the Spirit too. And Peter, the same thing. It, just, it has to be. So it is, it is true that nearly, of course, our, all our English version translated the, uh, similar to the NIV when they say filled with the Holy Spirit. But the literal Greek actually reads filled of the Holy Spirit. Filled of the Holy Spirit. Implying that the apostle... Uh, in this case was under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is probably to recognize that the Greeks, uh, what the Greek says, or to avoid the impression given by our English versions that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit as if one fills a bottle with water. That perhaps the translators of the common English Bible Translated this phrase this way. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, they didn't use the word filled with the Holy Spirit. They just say empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I contend that it should really literally be translated filled of the Spirit. Which means come under the control of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, although the fourth and the fifth assignment involves the miraculous, they are not as important in the church of Christ as those assignments that are necessary for 
the maturing of believers in the church of Christ. Because most people will dispute that. They are not as important. Except that that's what we have here. Now by, by this we mean that observing a miracle or a healing does not mean that a believer will grow spiritually. Doesn't mean that. Now, it could enhance a person's trust in the Lord, but not necessarily to spiritual growth in the sense of conforming to the character of the Lord Jesus. Now, spiritual growth requires spiritual nourishment, which is the Word of God. Now, we know that it is a proper form of food with the right nutrients that lead to a child's growth. Or, and of course, better health in adults. Therefore, proper teaching of God's word is necessary for spiritual growth. Now, Apostle, here's the thing. We know, you see, there are believers who spend their time going from place to place, looking for miracles, or chasing after testimonies about miracles, instead of being focused on hearing or learning the word of God. Now, such a believer, chasing after experience, instead of buckling down and studying the word of God. See, God grants miracles when he wants, not because a person is busy chasing after testimonies of miracles. Many of us just uh, do not understand that Satan is very shrewd. So he can fill a believer's mind and desire to do nothing but to chase after these experiences and not to destroy the person from actually buckling down and studying the Bible. Because he knows that experience of all those things they're looking for, they don't come that way. It's God's sovereign decision. The one that we should do, we buckle down and study the word. That is a more difficult task. That is why it's not popular today. Because it, is, it takes a lot of discipline on your part to be able to buckle down and study the word. It's easier to hear this story, hear that story, and you chase after it. In the end, all you are chasing after is experience. But you are not chasing after truth. Something that is going to solidify you, your own growth so that you become to be transformed in the person of Jesus Christ, to the, his character. Now, all these testimonies don't do that. As good as it sounds, they are not designed to do that. 
They may become, like I say, a, something that the devil will use to distract you. So you don't focus studying. Going over your notes, going over the lessons that we've gone through in this church, for example. So you don't spend time doing that. So you chase after this, chase after that. He can do that. Because he's shrewd. Because he knows what can happen. Now I know this is the same reason today what they call prophecy is popular. Oh, what's going to happen to Israel tomorrow? What's going to happen here tomorrow? The people are just running around looking for these things. As if they, if they got the answer. How is that going to increase their spiritual life? Suppose you know what's going to happen to, to Israel tomorrow. So how did they advance spiritually? You're nothing but excited that you have a knowledge. That's all it is. But in terms of actually maturing you, ask nothing. But the devil is very shrewd. So he's caught a lot of Christians. Oh, they are, I mean, there are people who are traveling thousands of miles going to listen to this one who talks about this is going to happen tomorrow. This is going to, and they, you know, they come to be teaching the Bible. I don't doubt that. But all they are talking about is prophecies. This and that and this is going to take place. Now my thing is always study the Bible. If we have to get to those passages, we study it. That's fine. But study the entire scripture. Don't focus on one narrow thing. In that way, no one can truly say to you, I've given you the full realm of the truth. And I can honestly in this, from this pulpit say that. Because I don't, I don't chase this and chase that. I give the full realm as the Lord leads me. So that you must have that full realm of truth in order to grow. So don't, don't be a person who is chasing after one or this or that. It sounds good. I don't know whatever it is. But these people are doing that. It means spending some thousands of dollars going up and down. Now you don't have to do that. Some you can do it today. Many times today, these things you don't have to do. Leave your house. You can't even... Because the internet is available. We can do all that too. Yet, you cannot sit down and spend time that is necessary to get that information that is necessary to transform your life so that you have the character of Christ. That's what's important. So, Apostle Paul had already indicated to the Corinthians that it is through the Word of God that they will mature. Since he indicated he was not able to teach them advanced doctrines because they were not ready for them as implied in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 2. He reads, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 reads, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. And so we are saying that no one grows spiritually then by witnessing a miracle or a healing, but only through the teaching of the word of God. Now this being the case, the first 
three spiritual assignments that have to do with communication of God's word are the most important than miracles for the growth of the church. Miracles or healings may cause a person who, of course, is an elect to believe in Christ, but will not lead to spiritual growth as such. Now, this being the case, we can understand the reason the fourth and the fifth assignments are given in the positions that they are mentioned as Apostle Paul uh, deals with the spiritual assignments of God to individuals in the church of Christ. Now please note though that what we are saying miracles are not the miracles, they are not listed in those offices necessary for the maturity of believers. And I'm referring to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. I want you to pay attention to it. We started in detail. But now in this context, we have to think twice about what we're reading here. It says, It was he, that's Jesus Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Remember that's the first two we saw in First Corinthians. Then, uh, some, to be, uh, some to be evangelists. And some to be pastors and teachers. Now, where in that do you see and some miracle workers or healers? Where? It doesn't, it's not there. Because they are not essential of what we have now. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, To prepare God's people for the work of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's what matures us. Those, that's why these three gifts, as, these as three assignments are important. So all I'm saying to you, miracles, and I'll be the first to tell you, I mean, I've seen miracles, I've seen what God does. I'm not downplaying miracles, but all I'm saying to you, it is not what you should focus on. If you focus on it, you are chasing experience. There's no mandate or instruction in the scripture to chase after experience. You are asked to chase after the word. If you learn the word of God, God will grant you the experience as he sees it. And so, just learn to be sure that the enemy is not trying to deceive you. By what sounds good. So this brings us then to the sixth spiritual assignment. The sixth spiritual assignment is concerned with helping others in the clause of 1 Corinthians 12, 28 that we're studying, where it says, those able to help others. Now, the expression, those able to, uh, those able to, does not directly appear in the Greek, but added by the translators of the 1984 edition of the NIV to help the English reader make sense of what the Greek says. And probably because 
the expression is justified because of the Greek word used, since literally the Greek simply reads helps. They don't have the word those, just helps. Now, see, the 2011 edition of the NIV then translated it as of helping. Of helping. That's the way they translated it. Now, there's considerable uncertainty regarding what the apostle meant in what he wrote in the Greek. This notwithstanding, we'll consider the spiritual assignment by examining then the Greek word used and the concept of help given in the New Testament uh, scripture to enable us to make sense of what it is that the Holy Spirit conveyed through Apostle Paul. Now the word help here in the literal translation is really from a Greek word that appears only here in the Greek New Testament. It means help, ability, to help. In effect, the word is concerned with assistance and support in a time of difficulty. Now, before we make a further comments on the spiritual assignments of help, we should be aware that help as an activity is expected of all believers. All believers. Help that believers are to render to others may be viewed as physical or spiritual. Thus, we have two kinds of help believers could render to each other. It is probably because of the fact that there are two kinds of help that believers could render to each other that we have the plural of our Greek word that means helps. Helps. Now that aside, physical help involves taking care of the needs of the weak. That generally refers to the poor and the widows. Thus, the early church in Jerusalem demonstrated that believers are to help the weak or the needy as evident in the way that they met the needs of their fellow believers as recorded in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. It is, there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had uh, need. Now, so Gentile churches, under the leadership of the apostle Paul, rendered help in a physical sense to believers in Jerusalem as implied by the uh, commendation of Apostle Paul about Gentile churches' willingness to help fellow believers in Jerusalem, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19. Second Corinthians 8 verse 19 reads, 
What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So, here the apostle talks about that help. Now, the human author of Hebrews acknowledged the physical help the recipients of his epistles were rendering to others as we read in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 reads, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So he recognizes that help. So examples of physical help rendered to another uh, to others are not limited to the church as a group. But we have uh, an example, of course, of an individual that rendered help to those who were, who were weak and poor. Now, Dorcas, that the apostle Paul, uh, Peter raised from the dead, was such a person because she was helping the poor and the widows, as we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Acts 9 verse 36. It is in Joppa. There was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good. And look at that, helping the poor. So anyhow, we should be clear that rendering help to others in need physically is that expected of all believers as implied in the instruction of the Holy Spirit to believers through the Apostle Paul as we read in Romans chapter 12 verse 13. Romans Chapter 12, verse 13. It is share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So sharing what one has with God's people, including the support of the ministry. Now, this support of the ministry was evident during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus. Because there were some women that helped support him and his disciples. As we read in Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Luke 
chapter 8 verse 3. Luke chapter 8 verse 3 reads, Joanne, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So these women supported Jesus and his disciples. Now after Jesus' death though, and resurrection, those who were involved in the ministry of the world received support from, uh, their, uh, from other believers. Hence, Apostle Paul acknowledged the support of his ministry by the Philippians, as we read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. Philippians Philippians chapter 4, Verse 16. Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. This is the apostles' acknowledgement of them. He said, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So they helped support his ministry. So the point is that rendering of help then in a physical sense is that expected of believers. We are all expected to do that. Now the help believers are expected to render to each other is not limited to the physical but extends to the spiritual. Now the most basic help we are to render to a fellow believer is to pray for that believer. That's the most basic. They, may, they don't see it, but they will have the effect if your prayer is an effective prayer. So, that is the thing that we are expected to do. Now, no wonder Apostle Paul indicated that the Corinthians were helping him. They didn't support him financially, but they were helping him and his team. You know how? Through their prayers. That's what he uh, acknowledged in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 reads, As you help us, how? Look at what he says, by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So that's the most basic help you can render is to pray for your fellow believer. Again, those are the things I ask you. Do you pray for every person, every believer in this local church? It's rhetorical. Another help 
believers expected to render to each other spiritually is encouragement. Encouragement. So we are to help our fellow believers who are struggling in the, in the faith by providing them encouragement through the scripture. We are to encourage or console those who have lost someone by directing them to proper attitude towards death, for example. Thus, we are supposed to help each other through encouragement. That that is a fact, the word of us is stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eleven. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eleven reads Therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Just as, in fact, you are doing. So they were doing that. He's praising them for doing that. And said, do it more. So if we see fellow believers struggling spiritually, in the form that they are having difficulty living the Christian life, we should provide such believers encouragement. That the human authors of Hebrews stated also this requirement in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. It is but encourage one another daily. See? Encourage one another daily. As long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, you see, a fellow believer who is constantly uh, getting to sinful conduct, you need to continue to help him or her so that that person doesn't become hardened and continue to live that way and think it's proper and endanger his or her spiritual life and physical life as well. So in any event, we have noted then that believers are supposed to help each other, both physically and spiritually. So if that is the case, how then should we, un- we understand the spiritual assignment described in the NIV of the passage we are studying in 1 Corinthians 12.28, where it says, those able to help others. How are we to understand that? Now there are at least two possible answers. So how we can understand it. The apostle could have meant those who assist church officers in their work or those who help those in need. Now the first answer of helping church officers is unlikely since those who help church officers were probably in the mind of the apostle in the next spiritual assignments that he mentioned. Furthermore, in the early church, those selected to help the apostles 
We are to help in meeting the physical needs of the needy in the church. Therefore, we believe then that the apostle had in mind those who help those in need in the church of Christ. Consequently, we should understand that when the apostle wrote literally helps, he meant that there are those who, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit related to helping others, are more devoted to helping the needy in the church more consistently than others, or helping in general. Those with this assignment go beyond what other believers do in order to help others. Now, regardless of their financial status, now I suppose that those with this assignment have an unusual gift of generosity to enable them to excel in helping others. Now, Dockers, as we mentioned previously, that Peter raised from the dead, was probably an example of a believer with this kind of spiritual assignment. So, that is the sixth assignment of help. The seventh spiritual assignment is concerned with guidance or leadership, specifically in the local church of Christ, because of the phrase of 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Look at that phrase. It says, those with the gifts of administration. Those with the gifts of administration. Now, now literally, the Greek actually simply reads administrations. Don't have the word those. Now, this is because, again, we do not have in the Greek the phrase those with gifts. Instead, we simply have a Greek word that appears only here in the Greek New Testament. Now, the word is derived from a Greek verb that does not appear in the Greek New Testament that originally meant to steer a ship and usually refers to the act of piloting a ship, but later on the word uh, meant to rule, to rule. Now, the Greek word then used in our passage appears three times in the Septuagint, not in the New Testament, but in the Septuagint, with the sense of wise guidance or right direction. As the word is used, for example, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It says, it reads, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 reads, For lack of guidance, now that word guidance is our Greek word, kubernesis. It appears in the Septuagint here, but once in the New Testament, a Greek. So it says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls. But many advisors make victory. Sure. 
Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12.28, the word means administration, administration, with focus on giving leadership or guidance to the church of Christ. Now this being the case then, it would seem to me that those who have this assignment are overseers of local churches and diggings since they are those who lead in spiritual and physical affairs of the church. So it is probably to recognize that there are at least two different kinds of leadership in the church of Christ that Apostle Paul used the plural of the Greek word that we indicated means administration to describe these seven spiritual gifts. I mean spiritual assignments, sorry. Now although this spiritual assignment is for those we mentioned, we should recognize like the concept of help. Believers in general are expected to give guidance to each other spiritually as part of admonishing one another. So, although we say this administration is mostly for those who lead the church, uh, the spiritual leaders, that's mostly who this assignment will go to, but that you also, as a believer, you have that assignment of trying to guide other believers based on what you learn. So, this brings us to the eight. The eighth spiritual assignment in the Church of Christ is concerned with speaking in foreign languages. As we read in, in the clause of 1 Corinthians 12.28, where it said those speaking in different kinds of languages. Literally, the Greek reads, kinds of tongues. Kinds of tongues. Now, the word kinds, yeah? It's translated from a Greek word, genos, that may mean nation or people as the word is used by Apostle Paul in reference to Israel, as he identified himself as a Hebrew, as we read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. It is circumcised on the eighth day. That is that unique mark of the Hebrew people. Wherever they are, they circumcised on the eighth day. So of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now the word may also mean offspring as it is used by Apostle Paul, to quote what uh, an Athenian poet said, in, as recorded in Acts, chapter 17, verse 28. Athenian poet uh, in Athens and so on. Hold on to, yeah, uh, uh, to ask though. Acts 17.28 reads, For in him we live and move and have our being. 
as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That word offspring is the Greek word translated kinds in the passage we're studying. Now the word may mean family, as it is used uh, to describe uh, Joseph's family in the sermon of Apostle, uh, I mean the sermon of Stephen before he was killed. Um, I'm not going to read it, but you can jot it down. It's Acts chapter 7, verse 13. Now, the Greek word may mean kind, as it is then used to describe a class of demons that can only be expelled by prayer, as we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 29. So, there are a class of demons that the only way a human agent can drive them out is through prayer. According to what the Lord Jesus asked, answer to his disciples' question as to why they couldn't do that. Mark chapter 9, verse 29 reads, He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 28, though, the Greek word means kind, that is a category of things distinguished by some common characteristic or quality. So this means then that we have that we have that which can be distinguished by some characteristics when the apostle used the word tongues, tongues. Now the word tongues though is translated from a uh, a Greek word from where we get the word, probably English word, glossary, glossa. The Greek word is glossa. That means tongue. So it can mean to refer to tongue in a literal sense as part of our speech, uh, part of the organ of speech. That was loose in case of uh, uh, Zechariah to help him speak just before uh, the naming of his son, John the Baptist, as we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 64. Luke chapter 1 verse 64. It reads, Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue, that's a Greek word, was loosed and he began to speak praising God. Now figuratively the tongue may be used for split flames as in Acts chapter 2 verse 3. Acts chapter 2 verse 3 reads, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now so here it refers figuratively to a split of flames. Now the word may simply mean language unique to a people as it is used uh, by those from other nations that were present on the day of Pentecost to acknowledge the hear, uh, hearing uh, of the disciples speaking in their own various languages, as still in that Acts chapter 12, look at verse 11. 
It is both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, to remove any misunderstanding of what tongues uh, means in this passage, some of our modern English versions render the phrase, instead of our own tongues, they say, our own languages. As we find, for example, in the New English Translation, among others. So it is in the sense of language that tongue is used to describe different peoples from different nations redeemed according to Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. It is, And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, and people and nation. See, the English versions that are, are more are prone to literal translations, such as the authorized version, that's King James Version, or the New American Standard Bible, they use the word tongue here instead of language that you have here in, in this passage. Now, the Greek word may mean ecstatic language, ecstatic language. That is an utterance outside the normal patterns of intelligible speech and therefore requiring special interpretation. As that's the word is used to describe those who received the Holy Spirit when Apostle Peter preached the gospel to Colonus and those assembled in his house, as stated in Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Acts chapter 10, verse 46. Which Acts 10, verse 46 reads, For they had them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, So here is not just tongues, it's ecstatic language. So it is in the sense of ecstatic language that the word is used to describe one of the activities of those in Ephesus that received the Holy Spirit when Apostle Paul placed his hand on them as stated in Acts chapter 19. Verse 6. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Acts chapter 19, verse 6. It is when Paul places hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. That tongues there is ecstatic language. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 12, 28 the Greek word glosa means language. That is any language 
but often referring to a language one has never studied. And a supernatural ability to speak. In that, oh, be understood in it. A language you've never studied anyway, able to speak it. Of course, it refers to strange speech of persons in religious ecstasy that must be interpreted to help others understand what is uttered. So anyway, there are then those in the local church that have this spiritual assignment of speaking in tongues that they have not known. This spiritual assignment is mentioned last. Not because it is the least important, per se, of the spiritual assignments, but probably because it is the one spiritual gift that has caused so much problem in the church of Christ in Corinth. So he put it last. Now, this fact, though, is evidence in the space the apostle devoted to speaking in tongues in this first epistle to the Corinthians that we're considering. Now, we're going to consider it by the grace of God when we get to the 14th chapter. That's, that's why he's spent all time just dealing with that tongues and tongues and tongues. Anyway, so this notwithstanding, the point remains that the second proposition that we expanded is simply this. The spiritual assignments are ranked according to their importance in the church of Christ. And we have laid out to you that although from number 4 to number 8, they are not as important as the first three. And the focus today is really really on the third, which is that has to do with teaching. And that is why we labor to make you recognize you need to spend more time uh, listening to teaching than chasing after miracles or experiences of other Christians because that can become a distraction to your own spiritual growth. So with that, part of what we have done today is we have gone through a lot of information on spiritual assignments which we ended in a sense uh, in verse 28 but that means they in keeping with what I've explained, it's now time to go home and take your time and meditate and consider carefully all that you have had today. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet that you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ yet, which means if you die now, you go straight to hell. Here's the good news. God loves you. That's why you're hearing this. His love for you is not one that people say, I mean nothing about it. It's not like somebody says, I love you. And they turn around and harm you. No. God says, I love you. Now, how did he prove it? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come. To die. To pay for your sins. And my sins. There's no love greater than that. That he, the son of God, will give his life for you and for me. He left the glories of heaven 
and came back to this planet. He suffered. He was abused. They spat at him, beat him up, smacked him around. He didn't complain. Then he had the power to simply say a word. And all of them become dust. He didn't do that. Because he knew he came to redeem you. He knew that he came so you can have life. He knew he came to keep you from going to the lake of fire that he has designed for all those who do not believe in him. So here he came. After living and teaching for many years, the three years, he finally was time for him to go and fulfill the reason he came because John had said, this is the Lamb of God that carries away the sins of the world. So he came to carry out away our sins. And that is why when they came to arrest him, he just simply asked, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. Speaking, identifying himself as God. And they fell to the ground. Unable to catch him capture him but he gave them permission and this how they took him eventually made a mock trial of him and eventually he was put on the cross on the ground of Golgotha the nail so each time they drove those nails in his hands those or feet these were marks of pain that he was buried for my sins and your sins. But that's not really where it all ended. That's just the beginning. Those pains were such. He didn't scream. He didn't cry. Because they were physical pain. But when they lifted that thing and sunk it. The last three hours on the cross. When the father began to judge the entire sins of the world. The sins from the time of Adam. To the last man who is going to live on this planet. All these were collected as, as in a bowl and poured on the Son of God. That was so painful, so unbearable, because that involved also separation from the Father, from the Holy Spirit for those three hours. It was so unbearable. That's when he let out that cry, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Shabakatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was forsaken that you may be brought in. was forsaken that you may have life. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What are you to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His name. If you believe He came, died on that cross, was buried, and rose again the third day, you will receive eternal life. Wherever your sins have been, they will be completely cleaned and you will have a, a clean slate to enter into a permanent relationship with God forever. So trust in Him, believe in Him. On the other hand, if you say, well, I don't know yet. Well, my friend, let me tell you this. You are the door of lake of fire. Just one breath away and you are lost forever. So this is the opportunity that God is giving you. Trust in His Son and have eternal life. Holy Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to cause us to recognize that in all the spiritual assignments that you've given, to recognize that you have given us those that are necessary to teach us 
as those we should focus and utilize more than others so as to bring glory to your name. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.